Now what's that saying again? Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't after you? It's starting to smell like that. Just because Bitcoin's most virtuous argument was presented in, if not bad faith, then in fig leaf faith, by get-rich-quick boosters, doesn't mean it isn't true. Enter the trucker protests in Canada. In just three weeks of honking, blocked streets and bridges, bouncy castles and flag-waving, this peaceful protest movement managed to provoke the most shockingly authoritarian response from the Canadian government. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to the show. This is Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan. This is where you find every major piece of Bitcoin literature and history read aloud and broken down for you in wonderful detail by myself, Guy Swan. Every angle and issue you can think of, we have covered it. And I've got a really, I've got a really fun one today. This one is by uh, David uh, Heinemeyer Hansen. I hope I'm saying that right, by the way. Uh, he is a very long time Bitcoin skeptic, but he is having a slice of humble pie today as he realizes a fundamental value it provides. That was Those were his terms, by the way, and I'm, I'm not using this episode to shit on him. I just think he does a really good job of laying out why Bitcoin should not be... He, well, he says crypto, but I'm this is Bitcoin Audible. I'm going to say Bitcoin. Why it should not or cannot be ignored in our current environment. And one thing I'll say about this piece, too, is that it's pretty funny. It's, it's a very enjoyable read. It's nice when I've read thousands of hours of economics or technical shit to, to, to find somebody who's really down to earth in their writing style. And, uh, you know, I have a pretty good rant about this one afterward. Um, and I try to answer some of his criticisms, uh, hopefully to him, if he actually reads the, uh, listens to this, uh, probably not, but I think his criticisms are perfectly understandable, but I think he still misses the point, and I ho- hopefully, hopefully, I did a decent job of clearing some of them up without getting too high energy and crazy about it. You know, for anybody who doesn't listen to the show or is new, I tend to get pretty amped up on this topic, so I apologize if that happens. But you know, forgive me. But before we get into the read, uh, let's just thank our sponsors real quick. If you want a place to buy Bitcoin without any shit coins, without any gambling, just a Bitcoin-only savings plan. Stable over time, automatic buying, that is Swan. Swan Bitcoin. If you want an escape from the noise, the trading, the Lambos of crypto, Swan Bitcoin is where you go. And then we've got the Bitcoin 2022 conference, which is just going to be absolute madness. as the biggest Bitcoin conference ever. Get ready for that shit. I will be there. I'm going to be speaking. So come hang out. Don't forget to DM me if you want to, uh, if you want to meet up. Uh, and lastly, make sure your Bitcoin are safe that your keys are safe in your BitBox hardware wallet. That is why we hold our own keys, because only then can your account not be frozen, can your transactions not be censored. It is the only time that you know that they are actually yours. And BitBox is a great sponsor to this show, have been for a long time, and they're one of my favorite products. Um, Check out all our wonderful sponsors. Really good discounts and stuff in the show notes. So don't forget before you pick up your tickets or your BitBox or whatever. With that... Let's get into today's article on how the situation in the world today is making it a little clearer 
on how important Bitcoin might actually be. And it's titled, I Was Wrong, We Need Crypto, by David Heinemeyer Hansen. To say I've been skeptical about Bitcoin and the rest of the crypto universe would be an understatement of epic proportions. Since the early 2010s, some of my most ferocious Twitter battles have been against the HODL army with laser eyes. There's just so much to oppose. Bitcoin's grotesque energy consumption, the ridiculous transaction fees and low throughput, the incessant pump and dump schemes in shitcoins, the wild price swings in the main coins, the obvious fraud that is Tether, the lack of real decentralization in most of the current Web3 infrastructure, and on and on and on. Beyond all of these very real problems and challenges, my bigger beef was actually fueled by a lack of imagination. I could see the fundamental promise of a digital currency free of banks if you were living in a failing state like Venezuela, or an overtly authoritarian one like China or Iran. But how was this relevant to the vast number of Bitcoin boosters living in stable Western democracies governed by the rule of law? Beyond the patina of philosophical respectability, it could apply to yet another get-rich-quick scheme. Now, what's that saying again? Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't after you? It's starting to smell like that. Just because Bitcoin's most virtuous argument was presented in if not bad faith then in fig leaf faith by get-rich-quick boosters doesn't mean it isn't true. Enter the trucker protests in Canada. In just three weeks of honking, blocked streets and bridges, bouncy castles and flag-waving, this peaceful protest movement managed to provoke the most shockingly authoritarian response from the Canadian government. First, the Ottawa Police Department got GoFundMe to confiscate donations with the intention of redirecting them to other causes. Then, after an outcry, they backed down to merely blocking the money for 7-10 to 10 days before refunding. That seemed like a draconian escalation completely at odds with the tens of millions of dollars raised for social justice causes during the protest summer of 2020. But at the time, I thought it was something another fundraising platform, one less likely to collaborate with the Canadian authorities, could route around. And Give, Send, Go, indeed, started doing just that. Turns out, the concern over the donations was quickly rendered insignificant, as just a few days later, the Canadian Prime Minister imposed martial law on the protesters. Through powers intended for catastrophic events, he took to freeze the bank accounts of both Canadian protesters and donors, to compulsorily demand that tow truck operators clear the streets, and forced insurance companies to drop policies for the protesters. That, quote, worked. Together with police storming the protests with pepper spray and stun grenades, the area in front of Parliament was cleared. But even that wasn't enough. Even with the protests cleared out, the police vowed to press their new financial powers against anyone involved for months to come. So Canadians who donated to the truckers should now sleep with one eye open for the next several months lest they have their bank accounts frozen and indictments filed on the basis of laws enacted to prevent financing of terrorism. 
or maybe their bank will simply preemptively cancel their accounts if they appeared on the hacked list of donators from Give, Send, Go. This is crazy. Absolutely bonkers. Terrifying. I still can't believe that this is the protest that would prove every Bitcoin crank a prophet. And for me to have to slice a piece of humble pie and admit that I was wrong on crypto's fundamental necessity in Western democracies. And that it was the Canadians who brought this on. You might as well have told me that it was really the Care Bears who ran Abu Ghraib. Especially since I had some sympathy with fears projected by the U.S. progressive left who spent four years fretting Trump might pull stunts like these. And then it turns out that the worries of an authoritarian overreach would be fulfilled by Trudeau to the north instead? Who's writing this script? M. Night Shyamalan? Meanwhile, plenty of American commentators are cheering this on. Those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad truckers got what they deserved. To protest for a repeal of pandemic restrictions so as to live the life enjoyed in Denmark by a population less vaccinated than the Canadians. That's clearly beyond the pale. But in a weird way, I'm glad we all got this warning from Trudeau in Canada and not Trump in America. It would have been far too easy for Europeans in particular to dismiss authoritarian assertions of martial law from Trump as being irrelevant to the European experience just like I had for so long deemed the practical desire of people in Venezuela or Iran or China for crypto irrelevant to the entire Western experience. Is France really that different from Canada? Is Austria? Is Denmark? This is a real wake-up call. It reminds me of the Snowden revelations. Prior to him bringing proof, the idea that America was processing all the emails in the world, recording any phone call anywhere at will, and monitoring all internet traffic just seemed so hyperbolic. I remember discussing this with a friend in the 2000s when the rumors of Echelon had gained some traction. It just didn't seem believable until it was undeniable. I'm sitting with that same feeling here. Even just a few months ago, I would not have found it credible if you had said a three-week peaceful protest in Canada could have led to martial law, frozen bank accounts, and terrorist financing laws being used to hunt protest donors. Unbelievable then. Undeniable now. I don't think we have any idea what kind of radicalizing seeds have been planted by Trudeau with these actions. This is one of those world events that you can imagine a documentary of the future opening with, It all started when... But wherever this leads us next, it's clear to me now that I was too hasty to completely dismiss crypto on the basis of all the things wrong with it at the moment. Instead of appreciating the fundamental freedom to transact that it's currently our best shot at protecting. You don't need laser eyes or an NFT avatar to appreciate that. All right, that wraps it up. This is a short little blog post, but I have got a lot to unpack with this. Like I said, I was going to disagree with a couple of things that are in this, but I 
the the slice of humble pie is very respectable here, um, especially someone who has argued. And a lot of the points he brings up is he is totally right on. And serious Bitcoiners, it's so hard, God, it's so hard to dis- differentiate quote unquote crypto from the serious Bitcoiners who have understood and had the philosophical foundations for this from the beginning and truly cared about it. And all all anyone from the outside sees is the gambling, the the shitcoin casino, the obvious scams. And I want to get into all of it, but really really quick, let's take a let's take a pause and hit our sponsor and we'll jump back in. There is a reason why I am a big advocate of Swan Bitcoin. Understand you do not truly own your Bitcoin unless you hold your own keys. This is why it is imperative that you withdraw from the exchange or service that you are using. This is a major reason why I recommended Swan Bitcoin long before they were ever a sponsor of this show. They literally automate it. I withdraw to my keys every single time I hit a threshold, an amount of money in that account, that I get to pick, totally at my disclosure, and all I do is hit a confirm button in an email that it's sending to my address. And it's also the best way to avoid all the shitcoin scams, the NFT nonsense, the pump and dumps, and just build an automatic recurring savings plan that ignores the price swings and just takes a long-term position with a company of serious Bitcoiners. You know, they could sell you a bunch of shitcoins and make way more money off trading fees, but they refuse to compromise and support all of that garbage just for a cheap buck. This is about securing our value for a better future, a future with the freedom to transact. Check out Swan Bitcoin, start your savings plan, go to swanbitcoin.com guy. And also they just released the, the Bitcoin Canon, the rabbit hole. Um, uh, and you can learn all the fundamentals of this technology without any of the noise. You can check out my rabbit hole. It is at the bottom of that page. It's titled, What the Hell Even Is Bitcoin? Again, you'll find it at swanbitcoin.com slash guy. All right, let's jump back in. Okay, now before we get too deep into this, I just want to say mad respect for David for this piece and for having a slice of humble pie after, as he says, more than a decade of arguing and slamming people over Bitcoin You know, I have taken myself some hits for some very stupid things I have posted or said in the past, things I have argued for a long time before changing my mind, and it's not easy. It sucks. Sucks a whole lot. Um, I got, like, everybody who knows me knows I was once a pretty stark Republican. I was pretty much a neoconservative for a span of my life where I was a warmongerer. And believe it or not, I actually once argued that the Federal Reserve was a good thing and actually behaved as a free market check and balance on government monetary policy. I know that is very that is very embarrassing for me to admit that, but I did. And now, if anybody actually still thinks that that is actually true, that is a whole nother rabbit hole. I've gone into that in a couple episodes um, in the past, but we're just going to leave that where it is. But first and foremost, I applaud David's honesty here. And if, if David, if you are listening to this and are open to understanding a few things, if you're willing to admit that we're not all completely crazy, I'd like to make a simple defense of a few other things that you brought up in this piece. So I'm just going to quote uh, one of the opening paragraphs here is just talking about 
how much there is to criticize about Bitcoin and crypto. And this is also a major important thing that Bitcoiners try. God, it's so hard to make people understand that Bitcoin and crypto are not the same thing. And I know probably every stupid shitcoin thinks that, oh, we're the special one. But, but literally the philosophy and the reasons for them existing are fundamentally different. Now, that does not mean that I don't think there are a lot of people who believe in crypto and people who believe that Bitcoin is just a tech stock or just this toy that everybody's going get, to get rich on and, you know, who wants to pump and dump or who wants to just trade it and, you know, go to the moon Lambos, whatever. Like, obviously there are those people in Bitcoin, but I think those people are just as clueless about Bitcoin as like 99.9% .9 of crypto is. But anyway, before we go down that rabbit hole, the quote, there's just so much to oppose. Bitcoin's grotesque energy consumption, the ridiculous transaction fees and low throughput, the incessant pump and dump schemes in shitcoins, the wild price swings in the main coins, the obvious fraud that is Tether, the lack of real decentralization in most of the current Web3 infrastructure, and on and on and on. Now, the first thing I want to hit is the Bitcoin's grotesque energy consumption. But I'm first going to agree with everything I agree with this, in everything in this sentence that I agree with. The incessant pump and dump schemes and shitcoins, yes. If you follow real Bitcoiners, you will you will hear no one else yelling yelling louder than than real Bitcoiners about all the pump and dump schemes and shitcoins. The obvious fraud that is tether centralized shitcoin. The best you can do it is it is literally a stable coin issued by a central entity that we it is specifically because it is in the legacy system because you are trusting them to back the value of Tether with some with bank accounts that we can't look into. I don't know anything about Tether. I'm I'm shocked that it seems to continue to persist, even though there were so many signs of problems of, uh, you know, fractional reserve. And they issued all the, you know, the Tether tokens when um, right after the Bitfinex hack, all of this stuff. I mean, Tether is its own rabbit hole. But it's a problem of centralization. It's a problem of a trusted third party, which is polar opposite to Bitcoin, in my opinion. It is, Tether is not Bitcoin. It is not crypto unless you just equate crypto with scams, which a lot of people, like, like a lot of hardcore Bitcoiners kind of do these days. It kind of sucks that the, what was a useful term kind of got taken over by a bunch of nonsense. But anyway, next point, the lack of real decentralization in most of the current Web3 infrastructure, 100%. Web3, as it stands today, is a total facade, and it is just a scam in so many different ways, shapes, and forms. NFTs are just a freaking URL to an OpenSea database. We talked about this on, on this show multiple times. It's not even that many... Uh, Episodes ago, we talk about uh, Moxie Marlin Spikes. We read Moxie Marlin Spikes' article on my first impressions of Web3. Again, what I consider a solid Bitcoiner, that is where you find out about those things, in my opinion. So all of those criticisms, 100%, I am absolutely on board. Now, I want to go back to Bitcoin's grotesque energy consumption. Now, the first thing here is the impression of simply demonizing the idea of energy consumption when the question is why are we consuming energy it's not about the fact like i don't i'm not going to 
be bothered that someone's quality of life is made better because they consumed energy. I mean, if you look through history, if you look across the world and you want to see where quality of life is best, where the standard of living is best, where the most people are driven out of poverty, it is directly correlated with the amount of energy they are able to consume. Energy consumption is a good thing. And I think our culture has done a very bad thing in demonizing it and thinking that somehow the future is in us not consuming as much energy when it, it's just a way to say we should be poorer in the future, which means that we are going to do more damage. We are going to have greater externalities. Poor people, poor society is, the, is a society that doesn't give a shit about the environment. It is, a society, it is a society that is more worried about their next meal than they are about the sustainability of their situation in their society. Wealth is the solution to fixing the environment. More energy consumption and more energy at our disposal is how we are going to solve more problems. So on its face, the idea that it consumes energy should ask, why? Why does it consume energy? Now, there is a veritable tsunami of misinformation and just general failure to understand around this idea. So it's easy to dismiss anyone trying to explain it if, you know, we already think that everybody with laser eyes is just a moron looking to pump his own bags. So what is Bitcoin's energy consumption? It's a vault. It's a fortress. Bitcoin's energy consumption, the proof of work, is a guard, is a force field built out of math that protects the value inside the system. It is proof that everyone must go through it before they are able to make any alterations to the ledger of ownership. So many people, so many articles and mainstream uh, pundits or whatever are constantly comparing a cost per transaction to Bitcoin's energy consumption, which is so completely missing the mark. It is, it is a completely irrelevant and non-applicable comparison. A quick conceptual analogy is just it, likening the proof of work per transaction as if this is a measurement of Bitcoin's quote unquote cost is similar to weighing the amount of concrete and steel in a bank vault with the number of cash transactions that you do. But if you really want to take it to the entire purpose, the role that proof of work plays in the system, you're not just weighing all of the steel and all of the concrete and the buildings and the guards and everything in every single bank in the country, in the world, actually, that holds dollars anywhere. You're also the energy consumption of the buildings, the energy consumption of every single guard and soldier around the world that protects any amount of money or is attacking, aggressively shutting down criminal organizations or counterfeiters that undermine either the dollar's hegemony or the dollar's security, like the, the what's it was called, what's it called? The super dollar, the super dollar that printed, there's literally billions and billions of dollars out there that are, that we just know are counterfeit. So not only does it cost all of this, but it fails. It still doesn't catch this. The tanks, the battleships, the troops, all of the military interventionism and the subsequent cost, the loss of human life that secures the petrodollar system to satisfy the, the Saudi Arabia deal, the military support in the Middle East that we set up in the 1971 after the Bretton Woods system collapsed and we moved officially to the petrodollar system. We support Saudi Arabia, we support OPEC nations, and we are constantly involved in the Middle East and have been since that era 
for the purpose of keeping the dollar priced in oil. All of that is the cost of securing the dollar. And at every single enforcement office, accounting organization, the billions in cost every single year of transaction fraud and identity theft, the weighing, weigh every single bit of that against the number of ACH transactions and the fact that it can still be politically controlled. It gives us a crappier, third-party dependent product totally at the whim of the political sphere that barely even does the job it's supposed to do at staggering cost. Proof of work replaces that. It allows you to trust the proof of work rather than some political institution or enforcement agency or bank that is supposed to secure it in its stead. This is why there are no police running around enforcing Bitcoin's monetary policy. This is why there's no police running around catching Bitcoin counterfeiters. This is why nobody is needing to have OPEC price oil in Bitcoin and there's not a military there to support it because Bitcoin is simply secured by the proof of work and proving itself as more secure, independent money that allows everyone the freedom to transact. It replaces military and political might with irreversible computation. It is a giant vault that everybody has all of their value in within the system that provably has no doors, no hinge, no crack, and no keys, whatever, that can get inside of it so everyone can know and verify that it is safe inside. The reason it is called proof of work is because it is literally mathematical proof that there is no back door, that there's no key. The only way to get in, the only way to alter anyone's ownership of value on the Bitcoin chain is by doing all of the work cumulatively backward into the, into the Bitcoin past. That's why I think the most proper analogy is a force field, because it is literally forcing any attacker to expend an ungodly amount of energy to contest the history of Bitcoin. The correct comparison to Bitcoin's energy consumption has absolutely nothing to do with the transaction count. It has to do with the value secured by the system. Now, there's probably 100 episodes, 200 episodes, I don't even know, talking about proof of work and mining and the energy consumption and why actually this is a great thing and it works as a, as a backstop. It works as a economic battery, so to speak, for wasted energy and why it's actually a wonderful thing to have something that is actually economically productive and valuable that can lead to profit for all of the disparate energy sources that we have out there, for the ones that are too far away from uh, population centers, for ones that produce at the wrong time, like renewables. There's a great report by Nidig that I hope to have in audio soon about how uh, Bitcoin is such a critical piece of the uh, renewable puzzle to get wind energy and solar energy and all of these all of these renewable sources that produce at the wrong time that do not produce in accordance to demand to get them over that marginal utility hump where they max out at like 15% 20% of the grid and then they're completely useless any additional solar panel does nothing for additional energy production at least not in an economic sense it cannot be profitable past a certain threshold 
and because of the very aggressive competitive environment of Bitcoin miners and the fact that there is no geographic or time limitation. There's, there's no restriction. You can, you could be mining at the very top of the North Pole as long as you have an internet connection and, you know, it could be one o'clock in the morning on a banking holiday on the weekend, doesn't matter. Anytime that you can produce hashes with energy, the cheaper one will always win which means that the two-thirds of energy that is totally and completely wasted or lost in our global energy grid will be the target of every Bitcoin miner on the planet, and all of the incentives push them in that direction. They will go to the wasted energy, they will go to the lost energy, to the cheapest energy that is available at any location and at any time, because Bitcoin is the only thing that can valuably, valuably? That is a terrible, that can profitably or economically use that energy in a productive manner that doesn't give the slightest crap where or when it's it's available anyway that's a whole that's that's hours worth of discussion and breaking down of the energy grid and stuff and like i said i've covered this a million times on the show there's plenty to dig into there now the next thing uh the low throughput and transaction fees this is why from the very beginning even Hal Finney, the first cypherpunk, the first guy who ever received a Bitcoin transaction, talked about a second layer. This is a consensus protocol. It's not a payment protocol. It has transactions because it's a great settlement system. It has the highest monetary assurances of any money in the world because of that proof of work that replaces all of the very unsuccessful counterfeiting police and military interventionism, bank vaults, guards, regulators who never do their job and just cozy up to giant banks. Bitcoin replaces that security with something verifiable and objective. But it's a protocol. It's a protocol just like the internet. We don't use, we don't directly interact with TCPIP in order to use the internet. We use HTTP on top of it. We use web, we use email, we use all of these protocols built on top of the web, on top of TCP IP. And that allows us a massive, multifaceted and highly variant global communications infrastructure. That is what Bitcoin does. It is a foundation for additional protocols to build out for a global, decentralized and secure financial structure. The Lightning Network is a network on top of this that allows thousands of transactions, hundreds of thousands, potentially, of transactions per second. Just like HTML or HTTP, it is a, it's a protocol built on top of it to do something else. It is a liquidity network for extremely high throughput instant settlement payments. It is a payment network built on top of a monetary base. Transaction fees on the base layer, on the, the base protocol, Bitcoin protocol, are paid for ownership security. The fees on Lightning, which are tiny, are, are done for payment settlement. Different thing with a different purpose. Together, they make a monetary and payment system. But Bitcoin defines the money. Lightning makes the payment structure or something else. There's a lot of other things that can be used. There are other designs and other systems that can be built for a different type of payment architecture on top of it. But Lightning right now is the most adopted and is expanding incredibly quickly and doing its job. I use Lightning every single day. I, it has scaled, quote unquote, 
my use of the Bitcoin base layer, an order of magnitude, I think I, I can't remember. I did the math on it. It was like a 50X or maybe a 100X. I, I don't remember. I do a lot of Lightning transactions. I do extremely few on-chain transactions. And I still do this all non-custodially. I still do this with the freedom to transact on a decentralized network using either or. Now, everything else in that original paragraph, I actually agreed with. The only, the only thing is the wild price swings in the main coins. Um, that's just kind of an in, in, inevitability. Um, we're looking at the monetization of a new asset and in, an entirely new type of thing. There was no way to avoid decades of volatility before this thing found a sustainable market. I mean, case in point, David just kind of figured out that this thing actually had some value. When people are having such wild swings in what they understand and what the use case of this thing is, of course there will be price volatility because there's tons of people who are just in it thinking they're going to get a Lambo. And when your society has almost no basis, no educational basis or knowledge basis on how to compare one money to another or even understand that Bitcoin is actually a monetary good because we don't kind of have a philosophical understanding of how Bitcoin, or excuse me, how money could be a virtual thing and that technically all monetary goods are the value, the value that it acquires, that monetary premium is exactly the, the value that it has virtually, that it has above and beyond its utility. I mean, if those fundamentals are not understood, nobody's going to be able to compare what a good money and a bad money is. It's, just, it's literally just going to be beaten out of the system through insane price swings and the monetization of a new good that is much, uh, much less liquid and therefore much more reliant or uh, susceptible, to, susceptible to significant price swings, particularly when so many of the people are just speculating and every single year the network grows so much that there's just a whole new flood of ignorant people who uh, basically what you're doing is you're setting the floor right? The, the base that begins to understand this and as the knowledge spreads, the floor gets higher. The peak gets higher as more speculators and short-term traders and crypto bros come in thinking that they're going to ride the wave and then freak out when it doesn't keep going in their direction. They just dump it because they, don't, they have not the slightest clue what they just purchased. Anyway, the volatility is inevitable. It's illiquid. It's new. The knowledge of what it is is so unbelievably scarce that the, a huge chunk of its market is just kind of people hoping it goes up and thinking, ah, this could be a thing, which rightfully should be criticized if that's what it looks like everybody's the only reason everybody's in it. But he's got another great, great quote in this piece that I really like because so many people in Bitcoin and crypto will just kind of repeat the talking points. And, you know, it says, here, here's the quote. So it says, just because Bitcoin's most virtuous argument was presented in, if not bad faith, then in fig leaf faith by get rich quick boosters doesn't mean it isn't true. So just because the marketing line of the fundamental cypherpunk philosophy that lasted way before, or excuse me, started way before Bitcoin was even around we're talking about why you should need a digital money in the uh, to begin with why you want money in the digital sphere that does not have a third party that does not have political control involved in it that is decentralized digital cash just because marketers and get rich quick assholes and you know telegram scammers are repeating that doesn't mean it isn't true just because they are lying 
Or I guess not lying, they just don't care about it. They're just there to scam you out of your money. But regardless of how many idiots are repeating that, it is true. It is true. It is why the cypherpunks were designing, you know, made six precursors to Bitcoin that all failed and they kept iterating. They kept trying to figure out how to fix the design, how to secure it independently. That is still the reason this is happening. And those were the people who saw where we were going. This is what, this is why Bitcoiners have been, or at least, you know, Bitcoiners and kind of the libertarian philosophy has been, uh, and the cypherpunk philosophy has been arguing for this for so long. Because if you look at the incentives, if you look at the trend, where we are today was obvious. It wasn't obvious like, obvi like there's going to be some switch where it just turns on. It was obvious that we were making tiny steps in that direction. And if something did not turn the trend around, it was only going to accelerate until it got insane. There is no way to build a system that has su such incredible political control, such incredible reward for corruption and manipulation that doesn't get corrupted and manipulated, that doesn't get used for political power. If you build the system that makes it wildly profitable to control it, it will be controlled. If you were looking at this like an engineering system, like a protocol, if you were looking at the dollar and the political system and the legal system as a, as a structure, as a coding structure, you would see a massive vulnerability. You would see a fundamentally misaligned incentive that could only end where we are. And the speed that all of the basic constitutional protections have just been tossed out the window. That for the act of donating to peaceful people protesting could get you essentially shut out of all ownership and all of your financial life. Everything that you do to get you through your day, your, uh, your literal ability to earn, to earn and support your family and your life. That this isn't subject to a criminal charge, that you don't, you don't have due process anymore. No, simply by some vague association or the fact that you supported a particular opinion, all of your rights are forfeit. And that anyone who supports this, that they're not scared to death that the next person who gets voted into office isn't going to use that against them? You know, what's the saying? I've heard it a number of times recently. It says, um, anything, anything that a politician you love can do to someone you hate is something that a politician you hate can do to someone you love. The people who are not terrified by what is happening in the political sphere in Canada right now are blind. They are insanely naive. That they think somehow only people they like and completely and fully agree with could ever harness that power and that it would never be used against them or the people in their life. This is why principles matter. And you know, David has a point. Like, it's, it's almost comical that this is the protest, that this is the one, that Canada is the place. Like, who had that on their Clown World bingo card? Seriously. But, you know, it's, like he said, you know, people, I think people are waking up.
Um, I think this is an example of it. That's why I wanted to talk about this on the show. Uh, it's, it's impossible to believe that your government, that something, a system that you trusted or believed in could be so incredibly abusive, could be so counter to what your impression of it was until it is just fully undeniable. It is unbelievable until it is undeniable. Same thing with the Snowden revelations. Like, you have to lose trust in how the system operates and in any of their honesty to even begin to see the truth, I think. Because, like, like just like he said, all of what Snowden said sounded like conspiracy theory until it was undeniable that that's exactly what they were doing. And in fact, that's what they've been doing for a very long time. And that it's way worse now. All it's done is grow, expand, and get worse. This is why the only answer is to exit. Now, that doesn't mean that Bitcoin can support all of it tomorrow. It can't. There's a massive amount of work to do. But it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's a lot like the internet in the early 2000s and telling people that they need to get out of the mainstream media in the news because it's just pumping a political Political propaganda, it's just pumping a narrative that is approved by the political class. And if you want to know the truth of Iraq, you have to stop watching the news. If you want to know the truth about Syria, you have to stop watching the news. If you want to even know that Yemen exists and that hundreds of thousands or millions of people are dying and it is because of what we are doing over there, you are never going to hear it on cable television. The decentralization of the communication infrastructure is what finally started to open that up. Finally started to break, like to, to cause cracks in the system so that people could get information through. They could find out what was not being told to them and what explicitly they were being lied to about. Now that comes with a lot of bullshit. That comes with all the nonsense that you find on the internet. But the freedom to sort through all of it is the only way we would ever discover the truth. This is why decentralized and censorship-resistant communication is extremely, extremely important, and decentralized, uh, a censorship-resistant transaction and value ownership is even more so, because free and open communication is dependent on infrastructure that is independent. And if your money isn't independent, nothing you do with money can be independent completely. You think they won't shut down your bank account or shut down all of your financial settlements and your agreements with all of your business partners if you host the wrong, wrong think, if you host the wrong propaganda, you think that's not where this is going? That's where it's going. The separation of money and state is critical to a prosperous future. And that goes for monetary policy, that goes for saving value in the future, and that goes for the freedom to transact. Everybody, everybody finds their way to understanding its value and why it is so critical from a different direction. So many people, I can't tell you how many people I've asked and I'm just constantly surprised by some other thing that I hadn't quite thought of or some perspective or some philosophical foundation or some uh, cryptographic reason, whatever it is, all of the different reasons where you can come to Bitcoin, how, how you find your way there and realize that, oh, here's this little piece of it that is actually something. It is actually valuable. What, what about all the rest of it? And then they start going down the rabbit hole. And there is plenty of bullshit. <laughs> there is plenty of noise to filter through. But if David is somehow actually listening to this and made it this far, I implore you, please, 
Start looking and be as critical as you possibly can. Bring a mountain of skepticism with you, but keep digging. That is why this show is here to make the process of digging easier. I read every single thing that I can get my hands on this, in this space, everything that I consider signal, which we're not going to agree with all of it, but there's, what, 600 and something odd reads, 750 episodes now. There's going to be something. Start with everyone's a scammer. <laughs> Go back and check out some Nick Zabo pieces, uh, shelling out the origins of money. Absolute goldmine of great economics and stuff. Like There is just an ocean of really brilliant thought and really good monetary history out there that will paint Bitcoin in a very different light. And I think a lot of people are waking up to this because they're seeing just how vulnerable the systems that we currently use are. They're beginning to see the just, just a hair of what the cypherpunks were talking about since the 1980s, for crying out loud. They saw the potential of the internet before anybody else saw it, and then they saw where it would go if they didn't build the right tools, if they did not have decentralized money. And they... They built, like, the cypherpunks are responsible for almost the entire foundation of what we use. SSL, BitTorrent, Tor, so many basic encryption standards, routing protocols, just so many critical tools to make sure that we were able to defend ourselves, that we were able to respond when we eventually found ourselves at the crossroads of centralized, top-down digital dystopia and the potential for an, a decentralized future in the digital space that actually secured freedom, that actually secured individual rights by the design, by the engineering of the system itself, rather than some need to have people culturally agree with you. If you think the freedom to transact, if you think the basic freedom to own value and individual rights are important, Bitcoin is about a system to secure those things without having to worry about whether or not your neighbor believes it. You know, human beings hate each other for an unlimited number of bullshit reasons. We have biases over sex. We hate each other for skin color. We don't trust someone because of what religion they practice or some comment they said somewhere taken out of com context. We think people should be beaten up over the sports team that they support. There is no end to the list of reasons that we would want to abuse or control another person. And in fact, as soon as you start trying to go through the list, we're making up new things on that list faster than one can go through it. If our political systems, if our rights and our fundamental laws are dependent on those subjective beliefs and biases, they will cause enormous amounts of pain and suffering. If they are subject to failure because of those, because some group of politicians really don't like truckers, really don't like that they protest something that they did, and suddenly the very right to own and command your life is completely up for grabs, is just tossed out the window, you are wholly and completely dependent upon the biases of someone called an authority. The digital world is only going to accelerate and amplify that. And that is going to result in staggering amounts of abuse and pain. Bitcoin is a glimmer of hope that we could actually redesign things from the ground up to have a foundation, to have an ownership layer 
that does not simply choose not to be biased for all of those dumbass reasons, but actually cannot be biased for any of those reasons. It does not, cannot know, or account for any of that subjective bullshit. It cares about verification and proof of work. And the incentives aligned in that system, and the, set, and the fact that everyone runs it together, it pushes people toward consensus rather than contest. And it's just getting started. It's just, it, is, it is still the internet in the 1990s. We're just touching on what this is going to look like and how important this is and how big it will be as we build this out, as we use it for more and more and realize just how important it is that we have this thing. But it's not ready for the whole world. It's not. I wish it was, but it's not. There's still decades worth of work to be done. We are still the internet before the mobile revolution. But we need the people who really care, who understand why this is, excuse me, why this is valuable and aren't just here for Lambos and aren't just here to make twice as many dollars this year as they made last year, but fundamentally want to want to build a system that can fix these things and really fix these things, not just constant hopium and just buying into every new stupid crypto project because it's going to go up in price and you know, we, we don't even look at it with a critical eye. We just blindly think, oh, well, that's great. I'm going to invest in it. Oh, NFTs. Well, what is it actually? Oh, it's a URL. No, we're just going to buy NFTs. Millions and millions of dollars. Look at my monkey hexagon. Like, it just... We need focus, man. <laughs> There's a lot of noise. And I can't blame people for not being able to see through it. It is a mountain. It is literally a mountain. But I think where we are today is such a crazy world that I think a lot of people are waking up. A lot of people are seeing just how important that the world has something just like this. That is why we Bitcoin. That is why I'm here. Uh, I want to say a huge thank you to our sponsors. We've got the Bitcoin 2022 conference coming up right around the corner. Link in the show notes for discounts and all those goodies. Uh, the BitBox hardware wallet to keep your keys secure in your ownership and Swan Bitcoin to buy that shit and auto withdrawal to your BitBox. They are our sponsors. That is that is my little foundation of my Bitcoin life these days. And uh, thank you all. Thank you all for listening. If you're interested in diving deeper, go to swanbitcoin.com slash canon. Mountains of great cura uh, curated content and the really, really important reasons why this exists. I am Guy Swan. This is Bitcoin Audible. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, take it easy, guys. You have been listening to Bitcoin Audible, a 111 production. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.